Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our interactive daily broadcast where trusted leaders bring insights and analysis to the issues from a biblical perspective. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get biblical answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So says Proverbs 14:34. And with that verse of scripture, I welcome you to tonight's edition of Truth and Liberty. Folks, we have a, a wonderful show tonight, very, very special show with uh, a highly esteemed guest, Steve Dace, uh, whom you'll meet in just a moment. But I want to ask you a question. And by the way, as you know, we will take calls and your questions in just a few moments. The number, might want to jot this down. If you've got a question for myself and Steve Dace, you have a rare opportunity to converse tonight with one of the great thinkers of our time, an expert on culture, our government, uh, the state of our nation, political uh, insights from Steve Dace. So here's the number if you want to call in in a few moments. It's 719-619-2341, 719-619-2341. But uh, let me kind of cue this up by laying out an idea. Uh, I love our nation. I've traveled the world. I've been all over the planet to preach, and I always love to get back to America. Our nation is not perfect. Our nation has a lot that we need the Lord's help with these days, obviously, but it's home. It's home. Whenever I hear somebody denigrate America or even pastors that will sort of give me a slap on the wrist, I've had a lot of ministers text or email and they'll say, you know, Brother Alex, uh, God called me to make disciples. God didn't call me to make Americans and our home is in heaven. And the implication as if we're just to let America implode knowing that we'll be with Jesus up in heaven one day. Well, if you're a born-again believer, you will be with Jesus up in heaven one day. But we're, we're called to be stewards. We're called to be salt and light. And, and I really don't think we're supposed to idly, passively sit by while our, while our country dies. So here's the thought. Imagine if America were a neighbor or a friend. There is a thing you've probably heard of called an intervention. Let's say if somebody is destroying themselves and uh, somebody's on drugs or alcohol or substance abuse, people will get together out of love, but they will host an intervention to try to save somebody's life. So if America were somebody you knew, would it be time for an intervention? Let's talk about that and so much more just deeply honored to uh, bring to the microphone on Truth and Liberty, Steve Dace. You've seen him on The Blaze. You've probably read his work. He's also the producer of a brand new film called Nefarious that we want to talk about. He's a busy guy, but he's carved out part of his day to be with us today on Truth and Liberty. Welcome my, my brother, colleague, and friend, Steve Dace. Welcome, Steve. You got it, Alex. Thank you very much for having me, man. I'm looking forward to this. Thank you. Uh, indeed. Well, tell people, I, I want you to give your website or any websites and just bring us up to speed on all that God is doing in and through you, my friend. Well, I, I just celebrated my, my 50th birthday and um, uh, my mom 
got pregnant with me when she was 14 from her high school senior boyfriend and wow. found out um, uh, over Christmas break in 1972. And then Roe versus Wade happened. And, and now suddenly she has a choice to make. And uh, she just, in the end, could not bring herself to go through with it and had a baby at 15. I mean, her and I literally grew up together. Um, wow. She, she ended up marrying a, a Navy sailor that she met a few years ago and dated uh, for a short period of time, kind of an instant love affair kind of thing. And unfortunately, he had some demons growing up uh, and didn't have the best father model. And he wasn't the best father to me or the best husband to her. He could be very abusive. I, I bring all these things up because um, everything that we're going to talk about that is really at the at the vortex, the epicenter of what has happened in, in America in this last era, uh, beginning with the counterculture, that essentially broke the soul of this country. Almost everything, I mean, I've, I've been a part of. You know, at 50 years old, I'm part of the first porn generation, where porn was just everywhere in the schools. Um, yeah. It was just accepted that you would have sex before marriage. You know, my wife and I, we met and... Uh, uh, you know, and, and we were pagans and we were part of hookup culture. You know, we had no idea that the Lord was going to save us and make us homeschool parents and turn me into a culture warrior. That is that is not what I had planned, Alex. My plan was to do sports radio. As you can see here in my man cave, that was kind of the original plan. And uh, the Lord yeah. had another plan, with what he was going to do with the gifts that he gave me. And so um, I, I use my testimony a lot. There's a joke on my show. Hey, Steve uses testimony. Take a drink. Right on your bingo card yeah. today. But but yeah. the reason why yeah. I do that, and I and I would encourage everybody that's interested in in reaching this generation of America, the the epistemological paradigm has shifted, Alex, in the last generation. For yeah. centuries, for centuries in, in the West, epistemological debate was determined by uh, a formula of everybody agreed objective truth existed. Even, a, even an atheist like Ayn Rand, who thought people like you and I were rubes and hated us, she thought there had to be objective truths in the universe. So she created her own philosophy and called it objectivism, of all things. So everyone right. agreed that there were objectively true things. And so you would bring the best factual, logical basis for your objective truth claim. The other side would then bring theirs. And then you would often close with an emotional appeal, like a testimony, an example, a story that would kind of seal the deal, right? In our era, that's been flipped. And, I, and I'm not sure, frankly, a lot of Christians understand this. You actually have to lead with the testimony now. You have to make the emotional connection first now. And then once there's an emotional connect, not, because no, there's worldviews that, that work in the country now and in the West now that don't believe objective truth exists. Neil deGrasse Tyson, the curator of the, National, of the Natural Museum in New York City, just said this week, your chromosomes are, are insufficient in determining your gender, the way you feel determines your gender. And so now, yeah. now we need to build emotional credibility with people. And then once we share our testimony, now we now, now that connection that we have with them provides us the opportunity to bring in our objective truth claim. In other words, here's the conclusion to the story. And now once once you're once you're captivated by the conclusion, let me take you back to Genesis now, the origin, my origin, where my story comes from and who my story comes from. Mm. Uh, I want to tell you, Steve, that uh, two or three minute little uh, foundational statement is so insightful. It, it really is. It really is. Because having spoken at 
oh, I don't know, 200 American universities. I, it's really actually a little more than that. But Steve, probably 15 years ago, I realized that there, there's this shift and you and I can lay out truth claims, things that mm -hmm. are objectively true. But I would say there is a always, on the part of like millennials and younger, there's always a questioning of power and motive. Now, when right. you, you and I make objective truth, you know, Colorado is on the North American continent. I mean, that's not my opinion. That's just, you know, geographical <laughs> fact. Uh, mm -hmm. And you can lay out facts. Uh, males and females are physiologically different. But nowadays, they don't consider the substance of your truth claim. They are thinking about the motive of you, the speaker. And look, yes. I mean, let's be honest. I, I've got five strikes against me. First of all, I'm male. I'm Caucasian. I'm conservative. I'm Christian. And I'm Southern. I mean, do, do you realize how much baggage <laughs> I bring to the table? And you even sound Southern, for goodness sakes. Yes. I, I, yeah, exactly. Yes. I mean, I can't be... Uh, I, I have no value as a human being. Let's be honest. Uh, in the eyes of the woke left, really, I, I'm Southern, so I must be a, a white supremacist racist. I'm Christian, so I must be an idiot. You know, I'm I'm a political conservative, yep. so it must mean that I'm part of the uh, structure that wants to subjugate other ethnicities. That, I'm that's a male. why you lead with your testimony. That's why you lead with your testimony, yeah. because... My motivations yeah. are, are secured when I do that. That's that's why. And and there are two reasons why this shift has happened in the culture. One of them is the enemy uh, made it so. And the other one, frankly, is our own fault. Um, okay. th let's talk about what the enemy has done. Um, we, we have seen, I used a word a, a few minutes ago, epistemological. And that's a, yeah. that's a fancy stained glass window term for how do we know what we know is true? I mean, but what, the study of knowledge, how do we know it's actually accurate? How do we know? And, and, and we are in an epistemological nuclear winner in, a, in, in the West right now. And um, you can't trust most media sources. You know, in my other great room here in the basement, Alex, there is a, a framed story that the New York Times sent a reporter out to do on me for their Sunday edition um, and, and about my influence uh, in, in the political process. And they came out here about eight years ago in the in the 2016 cycle, and and it was all very liberal biased, but it was fair. Like she talked to my mom that the, the facts she presented, it, it was a, it was fair enough that I was proud of how the story turned out, even though it was framed and the and the wording was from their belief system. The facts were objectively true, and and my viewpoint was in there to counter their slant. That's kind of what we used to call media bias for many years, many for many decades. Right. What's, what's happened right. now is the, the New York Times won't even acknowledge somebody like me exists. So we've gone right. from a slanted presentation to malfeasance. We've gone from bias to malfeasance. And, and what's, frankly, what's happening a lot on the right is more and more there's this idea that we can now play fast and loose with the facts in order to respond to them. And I always push back on that because I'm a big believer that zero times zero is zero. The, the antidote yeah. to lies is not a better, more clever and more, um, you know, a craven spin, but the truth. Uh, but, right. but, th and, and that's, and, and, and one of the reasons this epistemological winter, winter occurred is because of the of, of Marxist indoctrination, seeing history not through the lens of, of creation, fall, salvation, redemption, but instead seeing it through the exchange of power and classism 
And so after decades of that in the West, most people now assess situations not from the basis of who's the sinner responsible for this. And we're not, we're not even asking anymore why a loving God would allow evil in the world. We're not even sure what evil is. We're not even to that argument yet. And instead, right. we're, we're assuming that if there is evil, it's because a force used it, uh, used it to acquire power and control. The other reason that this has happened is the destruction of the family. And, and essentially, yeah. the church vacating the discipleship space in total, um, compre comprehensively in the culture. And so um, right now, the average 25-year-old male in America is more likely to be living at home with a parent than in another home with a wife and his own kid. We have the lowest marriage and birth rates we've ever had in, the, in, in this country since we started recording this statistic. The, the state of the family is it, it's beyond crisis. It is, it's in decay. And, and so yeah. because of that, like in my situation, I lived, with my I, I lived with my testimony. I came home from school every day, not knowing if my stepdad was going to take us to Disney World or beat us, frankly. And, and literally, it was like Harvey Two-Face. It was a flip of the coin. If he had a bad day at work, uh-oh, get out. If he had a good day at work, he was going to be a cool dad. Well, that, that taught yeah. me that you can't trust power. I can't trust authority. If I can't trust the being in my home that is supposed to do the most to, to provide security for me, Right. Then I don't I didn't learn that. That's not a learned behavior for me coming out of the home. And that's not a learned behavior. And the way that the church has responded to this is in the worst possible way. It is an, instead of stepping into that void and saying, we will we will provide that void. It has actually played to this emotionalism by reducing the Great Commission to cattle calls um, to uh, just come and get converted and then don't grow. Um, we don't disciple. Yeah. We we certainly don't do anything to try and um, and and shape the men. In fact, if anything, we try to make them more feminize them and make them weaker. And that has just played into the hands of the first factor that I mentioned. That, that that's played right into the enemy's hands, and that has led to this epistemological nuclear winter that we are in right now. And and you know, to a large degree, and and folks, spirit of full disclosure, I, I've pastored two churches, spoken in two thousand churches, literally more than two thousand. Uh, so I I love the church, and it's Christ's church. But I want to say, Steve, a big part of the reason that America is where America is, I, I lay the blame at the feet of pastors. Hundred um, percent. Because yeah, yeah, I mean. Right, right now, even as I speak, a half million people are ordained pastors. And I've got to believe if this weekend, when a half million pastors speak to 50 to 80 million American congregants, if they were really using that pulpit and that influence to mobilize the troops for God and country, it would look like a different America, wouldn't it? No question. I mean, that's just that's that's the reality. I mean, by their fruit you will know them. And ultimately, you know, when when the salt has lost its savor, it's of no use to anybody but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I I did an interview with the uh, with um, uh, the stream, uh, fantastic Christian publication earlier this week, talking about um, the church and COVID. And there's a really good documentary out right now called Non -Ass the Essential Church, and I would highly recommend it. By the way. And right. uh, they asked me, the stream asked me if, if I was shocked at how easily churches complied with the government telling them for the first time in American history, you're not essential, so stop preaching and shut down. And I said no, because the fact that the government thought it could even ask such a thing 
without massive pushback or even civil unrest in response, was indicative of the fact that the church had already abrogated its space and authority to the state anyway. And so it was already conditioned to just do whatever the state told them to do anyway. If you see my yeah. point, like 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 a hundred yeah. years ago, for, well, let's just we a hundred years ago we had a pandemic. It was called the Spanish flu. The idea the federal government would step in and tell churches you're non-essential, shut down collectively, but not not like temporary quarantines where there's a there, there's a crisis breakout and people are dropping like flies with a fifteen percent you know case fatality rate, but preemptively before we have any data any evidence. You shut down, you're not essential for an indefinite amount of time. We can't tell you when you'll be able to come back in. Right. A hundred years ago, Alex, the people in churches would have responded in ways to that that you and I can't talk about here because we'll get banned from every single major platform if we say it out loud. Exactly. That, exactly. That's what that is what would have happened if you would have said that to Christian church a hundred years ago, pastors would have had to stop parishioners from doing things that they might regret later on. Okay. Nowadays, mm -hmm. hey. I'm going to Netflix and chill. There's a new season of Tiger King. Cool. Frankly, I didn't want to have to get up in the morning anyway. And now I'm just conditioned to watch on the internet. So yeah, the idea that the, that the government thought it could ask that is, is proof of G.K. Chesterton's famous axiom. When the government removes the God, the government becomes the God. Wow. You know, hey, well, I've got to give a Chesterton quote here, folks, and then we're going to go to calls in a few moments. Our guest is Steve Dace of The Blaze, author, filmmaker, cultural commentator, a voice that I highly recommend you follow and listen to. The number is 719-619-2341. But uh, Steve, in 1908, G.K. Chesterton, in his uh, introduction to his very fine wonderful book on Thomas Aquinas. He says, as much as we need to win the, the pagans to Christianity, more and more increasingly, we need to win the Christians to Christianity. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, that's a great quote. But yes. um, there's so much I want to talk with you about. Nefarious. Tell people about the film Nefarious, what it is and where they can view it. So Nefarious is a, a movie that I'm the executive producer of. I worked with the team that did God's Not Dead and Unplanned. And uh, this movie, let's just say it goes up a notch in terms of maturity and truth-telling uh, from those two films, which were very successful. Uh, but um, it, it came from a book I wrote in 2016, Alex, that uh, I wrote called A Nefarious Plot. That's the name of it, A Nefarious Plot. And I wrote it as a, a sequel homage to C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. And just as in The Screwtape Letters, Lewis lets us see from the demonic realm how evil tempts us as people. In, uh, in, in a nefarious plot, I, I had a demon named Lord Nefarious write in a book how he took down America, why he did it, whom he did it through, names actual names, connects actual historical dots. And he puts this into the book and publishes it under his own name because this is how he'll prove to his master, the devil, that his plan has been successful. The fact that he will just put it out in the open, right in our faces. And we won't believe it. We'll think it's conspiracy theory. We'll think it's ridiculous and, or, or just ignore it altogether. And, uh, and, and the team that produced God's Not Dead and Unplanned read, found out about this book uh, and, uh, and, and called me and they were like, this book's incredible. We'd love to turn it into a movie. And so we had all forms of spiritual warfare that is still ongoing, frankly, making this, uh, making the film, distributing the film, marketing the film. It's been spiritually the most challenging and rewarding experience of my life for anything other than raising kids. And uh, um, 
It has, uh, it, it's been an incredible experience. Uh, the film has, get this, Alex, Rotten Tomatoes, which is the movie, uh, movie uh, yeah. uh, critique aggregator, it, it's celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. In the history of Rotten Tomatoes, no feature film ever recorded has a wider gap between what the audience thinks and the critics think. Some documentaries have, but no feature wow. film has ever had as wide of a gap. 33% of critics liked our movie. 96% of the audience did. That's 63-point difference between people right. and the critics. That's the largest gap of any, of any uh, feature film in Rotten Tomatoes history. So if you want to see yeah. Nefarious, you can rent it tonight, buy it tonight online, uh, on Amazon, on iTunes, YouTube, Google, uh, Roku, DirecTV. It's on all the major streaming platforms. And you can pre-order the DVD now. Uh, the DVD is released on August 15th. You can pre-order the DVD version now. And uh, um, I think you're going to be very pleased with the film that we made and, and the message of that film. Uh, to pardon, to, to use a pun, it, our, our intent is for you to take your unsaved friends and family members to see this movie. It'll look like a, the kind of Silence of the Lambs psychological thriller they're used to. But it is once they once that's just the tone and the quality. The message of the film is right out of our own worldview. And so our hope, frankly, is to scare the hell into them, actually, that, that maybe people have really forgotten how bad evil is, where evil really comes from. And so in our movie, a very left-wing psychiatrist who thinks he's a know-it-all is going to go to death row to interview a serial killer uh, to make sure he is fit, mentally competent, because he claims he's demonically possessed. And of course, no one believes it and thinks it's a scam. And in the course of this interview, he is going to meet a demon named Nefarious. He's going to meet where all of his worst ideas originated from. And over the course of this movie, it's going to wreck him and cause him to truly reevaluate his own worldview. You know, I was on Rotten Tomatoes a couple of days ago after you and I talked earlier this week, and I was reading some of the critics' reviews, and some of the critics... Um, oh, they're hilarious. You know, not, yeah. Oh, I know. I mean, because... <laughs> Look, th this is a movie about truth. It's a movie with some solid theological convictions. And so, you know, you know that left-wing critics are going to trash it. But you're right. The audience loves it because it's a great film. You, you graciously shared a link with me uh, about six or seven weeks ago where I could see it. Folks, you've got to see this. I would recommend churches show it. Um, people, they, they will love it. How can churches show it? Or maybe could somebody rent a local theater and invite people and, you know, make an event out of the screening of this film? Can they do that, Steve? Yep. We've had a lot of people do that around the country. And if churches would like a license to screen the movie, you can do so. Just go to movienight.com. Uh, again, that's movienight, all one word, movienight.com. And you can get a license to screen it for your church there. We did, we did a screening out at uh, Chino Hills Calvary Chapel uh, two weeks ago. That's Jack Hibbs Church out there, Alex. Over 5,000 yeah. people came to that screening. Incredible crowd. Wow, wow. Um, do you plan to be involved in, in future film productions too, Steve? We are this close to this one being profitable. And, uh, once, and we're confident enough that it's going to get there that we are having conversations about further and future nefarious content. I actually already wrote a sequel book to the movie a few years ago called, uh, or to the book a few years ago called A Nefarious Carol, uh, that at some point we will turn into a film as well. And, and right now we're actually discussing maybe even the idea of a TV series as an immediate follow-up. Wow. You know, I, I'm so thrilled because like 
earlier you uh, mentioned C.S. Lewis, and of course C.S. Lewis, uh, everybody knows the Chronicles of Narnia, although I highly recommend you read C.S. Lewis's uh, nonfiction work as well. But mm-hmm. um, one of the ways to change culture and to impact worldview is through the arts, isn't it, Steve? I think the last place to actually successfully do it is there. I think the church in its current state is in no shape or form collectively. There's always a remnant, as God says to Elijah. There's always 7,000 men who have not taken the need to, to need to bail yet. But we don't have yeah. the critical mass yet to truly uh, impact the culture on a meta level uh, at the church level. The political system is just frankly bogged down in too much personality corruption. Um, anybody you would put up there, uh, whether it's Donald Trump last time, and maybe it'll be him again, or Ron DeSantis this time, or maybe it'll be him the, the, the time in the future. It's just, it's, a, it's, it's, it's district one from the Hunger Games. If you get the reference at this point, you're voting almost for speed bumps just to slow down the uh, onslaught from Mordor more than anything else. The families are disintegrated. I mean, it, it's gotten so bad, Alex, that the schools really aren't even good at indoctrination anymore because they've so dumbed the kids down that they can't even yeah. ingest the, the left wing's talking points. Like, they don't even know their own talking points. Like, you and I would actually would know their talking points better than them, for example. Exactly. And so the one, the one place that, that, that wields the most influence is the device that I'm talking on right now to you, this phone, particularly when it is hooked up to social media and popular culture. And I think that that's an arena we have neglected for too long. Thankfully, we're reinvesting in it. You have successes of films like ours and Jesus Revolution and Sound of Freedom, which has really taken off. God bless them. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and so if we do it well, there's a market there. for and, if, because if you, and I put it this way. When I talked to Jack Hibbs' church, this is how I put it to them. We, what is the Bible sometimes referred to as? The greatest story ever told. When, right. when Jesus came to teach and to preach, he often did so in parables, which are stories. And then right. when we are saved, we are given our own testimony or our own story. It's actually always been the case, Alex, that power is in story. Always. It's always been that way. It's just in our right. culture, it, it's probably the last place left where if you entertain me, I will let you assault my worldview in ways that I would not let you do philosophically, Otherwise. systematically. And I think that that is an arena that we need to invest in far more now uh, as, as a Christian, uh, as a movement. You know, Steve, I heard a really great quote. Uh, in fact, I was teaching at Karis and we were um, with the, the film and production students and uh, somebody brought this quote. I thought it was genius. If, if you want somebody to know the truth, tell them the truth. But if you want somebody to love the truth, tell them a story. That, that's pretty good insight, isn't that's it? That's cash money, homie. Yes, right yeah. there. Yep. Um, so, folks, if you're just tuning in, we've got a break in about a minute and a half. We're talking with Steve Dace, cultural commentator, one of the, in my opinion, just one of the God-anointed thinkers of our time. You can ask a question, politics, everything's on the table tonight, folks. So it's 719-619-2341. By the way, if you need spiritual help, you know, we're talking about being a Christian and being saved, and maybe you're wondering what, what all that's about. If you would like somebody from God's Word to share how you can know Jesus Christ personally, your sins can be forgiven. Tonight can be a brand new start for you. And we often say this, Jesus is as close by as a prayer. Here's the number for spiritual help, 719 619 
3511111. Look, no strings attached. Uh, we, we're not asking for anything. We just want to encourage you, and we want to tell you about how God loves you, and Jesus Christ can be real in your life beginning today. That number for spiritual help, 719-635-1111. But questions for Steve or myself, 719-619-2341. Well, folks, stay tuned. We've got a very brief break. We'll continue talking about the state of our nation and world on Truth and Liberty with Steve Dace. Don't go away. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. The moment you believe your healing is done and it's just a matter of time until whatever the symptoms are, are gone. Get rid of the barriers, get rid of the distractions, get rid of all of that, at least in your spirit, get convinced you're healed. When we pray for healing, what we're doing is we're just calling out a supernatural speeding up of a natural process that's already in your body anyway. Let's get to the point where we hate sickness and disease because now we know what the Spirit of God wants for us who's alive in us. We focus on what the doctors can do for us more than what God can do for us. Say, God is my healer, not the doctor. God has done everything. You're already healed. You got to learn what some of these laws are and start flipping the switch. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here with Steve Day. So honored to be talking with Steve. By the way, the number for your calls and questions, 719-619-2341. Hey, Steve, before we go uh, into the calls, um, give your website and how people can watch you on the blaze and follow all that you're doing. Probably the simplest thing would just be to go to YouTube or iTunes uh, or wherever you podcast from, uh, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean. And just look for me, Steve Dace, D-E-A-C-E. Uh, that's mm -hmm. again, Steve Dace, D-E-A-C-E. And you get, if you want to get more information on what we do at The Blaze, you can go to stevedace.com. It'll direct you all to all of our stuff at The Blaze. And uh, about the only social media site anymore that has a, a, a large following that lets any amount of free speech is Twitter or X or Twitter X, whatever the heck it's called now. Uh, and so yeah. you can follow me there at Steve Dace Show. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. Uh, okay, well, that, that's great. How about Nefarious? Is there a website up for the film? Yeah, but I would really just go right to Amazon and everything you need is there. If you want to see trailers and stuff, those are all on YouTube. But I mean, you know, at this point, it's up on all the major streaming platforms. So I would just look for them all there, whichever streaming platform you prefer. Sure. Well, uh, we're going to go to the calls. Mitchell, we're going to start in Tennessee. Mitchell, thanks for holding. You are the first caller on tonight's edition of Truth and Liberty with our special guest, Steve Dace. Welcome, Mitchell. Hello, are you there? Mitchell, I'm not hearing you. Steve, are you, are you hearing that caller? 
I am not. No, sorry. Can you hear me? Okay. Now, there we, we've got you, Mitchell. Thanks. Okay, no problem. What's your question? Yeah, before I ask this question, I, I told him up front that I'm straight. I don't support homosexuality. I'm just curious about something. When people okay. have sex, when people have sex with the same gender, do they eventually get AIDS and diseases? The reason why I'm asking, there's a guy, I've told you about this before, Alex. I think there's a guy in a chat line who's narcissistic, and I know it's, it's you know, but he's he's gotten really really off the wall lately, and always trying to tell everybody else they have AIDS and HIV, but he's always coughing nonstop. He you know, and he said he was on the chat line a couple of years ago for because of health. He was out of work for health reasons, and all of a sudden he's disappeared. My question to you is: When somebody don't, when somebody like that tells everybody else they have AIDS and HIV, two questions into one: Does it sound like to you that he's dumping, trying to dump that on other people? Because my mom took care of two guys that had AIDS one time. They were gay, uh, nice guys, but they were bedridden. They got so, and he's always talked about like a couple years ago how he would get on the chat line for three hours back in the quarantine. He said, "I'm going to hop on the chat line for three hours and I'm going to sleep for 16 hours." Would you say that definitely is a sign of? AIDS or something because that, and I'm just wondering what my question. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I, I, I wouldn't have any idea. I, I wouldn't be able to know what this person's physical infirmities are. But uh, let me say, Steve, that a lot, you mentioned the breakdown of the family. A lot of the at-risk behavior, at, whether it's sexual immorality, and STDs are skyrocketing, oh my goodness, among young people, uh, sexually transmitted diseases of all sorts, AIDS and uh, three dozen other STDs are just skyrocketing. Um, Steve, I'm old enough and I've been watching culture enough. Do you remember what AIDS was originally called back in the 80s? Do you remember, Steve? Um. I, only, I remember guys' stories like, I remember when it first exploded. I was a little kid back then, brother. I, I remember the stories like Ryan White, uh, who yeah. got expelled from school because he, re he received HIV via a blood transfusion. I remember coming home yeah. in high school uh, the day Magic Johnson retired because he had HIV. So, you yeah. know, I was really young when a lot of that, when that story first exploded on the scene and emerged. Well, and, and folks, this relates to how not only journalism, but certainly policy has been ameliorated in light of ideology because I'm 59 and I was in college, uh, Steve, when I remember all those years. And originally, and I, I distinctly remember a news show when they were talking about GRIDS, G-R-I-D-S, and it was an acronym for what, what we now call AIDS, but it was Gay-Related Immune Deficiency Syndrome. Why? Because it was uh, almost exclusively confined to the gay community. And, and I remember how they begin to say, uh, I remember they would say heterosexuals are every bit as likely to get AIDS as Yeah, they as predicted that for uh, two decades, there'd be an explosion of heterosexual HIV and, and yeah. there just never was commiserate with the, the two main behaviors, which was you know, uh, unprotected homosexual, rampant homosexuality, and the and intravenous drug use, and yeah, and that was that was by the way one of the key figures involved in that era, uh, from a, mm -hmm. from a national health standpoint was Anthony Fauci. And really? Yes. Yeah. He was he was really the point person um, with AIDS at that way back in that era, and to, and so this thing yeah. that we all just lived through of 
we just make claims with no data. We politicize public health. We have a narrative and an agenda um, that, uh, that matters more than actually treating patients. Um, this was all done before. Um, it, it's because it's a lot of the exact same people. Debbie Burks, that's, she came in with Anthony Fauci during that era. I mean, they cut wow. their teeth on, 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 on the AIDS uh, epidemic. And a lot, of, a lot of what we saw politically in the way that that was handled, um, uh, and, and for example, we see this at TSA, right? Grandmothers with, 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 with uh, knee replacements have to get pulled out of the line to be shaken down and essentially uh, date raped by a TSA agent because uh, heaven, for, heaven forbid we actually profiled who it is that's most likely to uh, hijack planes. That's kind of what government does, you know, like Obamacare. Mm. Um, you know, men paid for pap smears. And that's one of the reasons why your healthcare costs have skyrocketed. You're not an individual now. You're not made uniquely and wonderfully in the image of God. You're a cog in a machine. You're part of a collective. You're part of the matrix. You're part of the Borg. And resistance is futile. And so we're all mm. just one big non-binary being in the vast chasm of the power grid. And so what you saw with COVID the same way uh, was treated the same way as AIDS. So we, we're going to throw the old people in the nursing homes where they can get infected and die in, in five or six blue states. We're going to do that. But you who are perfectly healthy and 35, stay home. That's the same thing we do with AIDS. We're going to, it, it's, yeah. it, here, here it comes for heterosexuals, here it comes for heterosexuals. Meanwhile, I mean, how many, how, how, while we promoted the propaganda, promoted the politics, how many people who are really suffering died didn't have to? Same thing we just saw. Yeah. It was really all the exact same people, all the exact same system. Well, you mentioned the epistemological shift. Uh, and, and folks, let me encourage you, folks, please, this show, go to truthandliberty.net and share this show. This is a show you're going to want to listen to again, a show that you want to share with others. But um, I'm going to put it this way. You, you talked about the shift epistemologically. It, it's the polit politicizing of truth. Um, explain, if you would. And that's how... always what happens in Marxism, Alex. It, yes. it always politicizes the truth every single time. We always begin four legs good, two legs bad. And then it always ends four legs are still good, but two legs are even better. And they look from man mm. to pig and pig to man and back to pig again. And they couldn't tell which was which. It always, it always ends up that way. And, you know, you and I, you, you use the language of intervention at the top of our show. Right, right. There's a reason. There's a reason why revolution worked here longer than it has worked in any other society in human history that has tried it. In every other society that's tried it, like the French Revolution, for example, when they got done storming the Bastille, they uh, and they when they when they ended up after they got done killing the elites, the next thing they do is to put the clergy to the guillotine, and then they tore down uh, the the statue to Mary in the the cathedral cathedral of Notre Dame and. They put up the goddess of reason and 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 they uh, announced a reign of terror. Why? Um, when 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 the Soviets, when the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks, when Mao with his little red book, Ho Chi Minh, power to the people, always ends up being let's kill as many of these people as we can. Why does this happen? And what why why is this country, which isn't even yet at its 250th birthday? Why is it the longest concurrent running experiment on human freedom in the 7,000 year arc of recorded human history? I'm gonna tell you why. Okay. Because this revolution declared something no other revolution in human history ever did. 
And, and this is what, going back to Chesterton again, when he, when he once said, America was the only country ever founded on a creed. What was the creed? It's right there in the opening of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths mm -hmm. to be self-evident. Be self-evident. All right, that all, self, it's, it's obvious that all men are created, 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 which means there's a creator, created equal, endowed by their creator with certain pre-existing, unalterable or inalienable rights. All right, and right. among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, and so the, every government in all of human history has declared itself to either be God or that its power to rule you came from God. There has never, right. we always argue you're for a theocracy. Every government ever, if you believe nothing else I'm going to say on this 90-minute show tonight, listen very carefully to this part right here. Every government in all of human history has been a theocracy. We're only arguing who the theo is in the form of theocracy. Except this Brilliant. one. Brilliant. This one Brilliant. is actually the first one that didn't do that, Alex. We actually, our government said, we're sinners. Rights come from God. God is not a respecter of persons. The government officials, they only rule by the consent of the governed. And the governed, the governed can take that consent anytime they want. And so we don't bestow rights, so we can't take them away. We don't grant privileges, so we can't take them away. In fact, we're going to write a constitution that limits the government's power. It can only do these 18 things in these three branches. These enumerated powers. And then and then yeah. everything else that is not there enumerated, you're, you figure that out. They had, they had a term that it was used a lot. You mentioned Aquinas, subsidiarity. The idea yeah. that the government which governs closest to the people governs best. They accepted all this tradition. And, and that's what made it different, is power flowed from the bottom up, not the top down. First time in all of human history that occurred. All these and, other and revolutions. Just, Go ahead. Um, folks, let me interject. This is so great. We have been bequeathed with this incredible blessing called America. And like uh, Lincoln alluded to in the Gettysburg Address, you know, a government by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Steve, uh, when I hear educators that m more and more pu public school educators and college professors with whom I speak, they just, they don't appear to have the the, the requisite knowledge base to even No, my people perish for a lack of knowledge, a prophet once said. Al Sharpton was just on national TV last night saying, could you imagine Thomas Jefferson ever revolting against the government? Head against desk, okay? I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't, that, that's so dumb, I don't even exactly. know what to say to that, okay? But yeah, this is, exactly. But if you well, look at every well, other well, revolution, power to the people doesn't work because the people are sinners. All right. Well, I mean, exactly. The Hence people are the famous quote. something. Something yeah. must rule. Someone must rule. In our yes. society, it was God. We all recognize we were made in His image, and our rights came from Him. Our laws came from Him, and 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 that, despite our imperfections, sustained this country as next to the church. The and and when I say next, obviously a country isn't a transcendent institution like the Church of Jesus Christ. So it's, 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 right. it's, it's way next. They're not like, you know, buzzing buddies here. They're, it's way next. Nevertheless, yeah. next to the church, well, no entity on earth did more good. January of 61, Kennedy, in his inauguration speech, he said, the rights of man come not from government, but from God. A, a exactly. Democrat said this, JFK. Yes. And Kennedy, now you can't get most of the Republicans to say that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the the role, is, role of government is not to give you rights, but to guard the rights to that guard you inherently them. have yep. from God. This is what 
look at look at the way we teach. You know, it's funny. I mentioned this movie earlier, the non or the the essential church. To me, yeah. the most fascinating part of the film is watching John MacArthur's church. For many years, John MacArthur taught, and I mean, he's one of the greatest Bible teachers of this era. But sure. John MacArthur, sure. But John MacArthur also taught for many years the American Revolution was in violation of Romans thirteen which I completely and totally disagree with. And we can get into that if you want. But what was fascinating, right, right. though, is for, for, for his church to justify pushing back on the Biden administration's COVID mandates and from the state of California's COVID mandates. I should say it was the yeah. state of California, not the White House. For them to justify yeah. it, they had to completely reexamine what they taught in their church for 40 years about what the meaning of Romans 13. And if you look at Romans right. 13, this is, this is very vital, too, for your audience. Romans 13 is Paul's attempt to flesh out what Jesus meant when he said, um, you know, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, and render unto God that which is God's. And, and so we often only we often only quote the line where Paul says, submit yourself to the governing authorities, but we don't, we don't, we take that passage out of context. The rest of that passage ends with this, with this, uh, this command by Paul. Give pay taxes to those who are owed taxes, give honor and duty to those who are who are owed that honor and duty. In other words, Render under Caesar that which is Caesar's. Render under God that which is God's. So did it mean unconditional subservience to the state? Well, if it meant that, why did Paul get his head cut off by Nero? Mm, yeah. I, I know we live in this era of philosophical deconstructionism, but we don't determine what an author's words means. The author determines what his words means. Right. And so right. if Paul meant unconditional surrender and unconditional submission to the church, when Nero said, worship me as God, Paul would have done that. He would have done that, Alex, yeah. but he didn't. And that's why, yet, why that's Nero why cut folks, his head off. And folks, that's why when, whenever you hear Hillary Clinton or Obama or anyone say the Constitution is a living document, no, no. The, the words are fixed, not fluid. Hey, we got so many calls. This is great. We're going to go to Texas. Diane in Texas, thanks for holding. You're the next caller on Truth and Liberty. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, I would like to know who are the great cloud of witnesses from Hebrews 12, 1 through 2? Great question. Great question. Uh, folks, Hebrews 12 is preceded, coincidentally, by Hebrews 11. Now, Hebrews 11 sometimes is called the Faith Hall of Fame, and it lists mm -hmm. Deborah and Barak and Samson and all of these. What's so interesting, and folks, oh my goodness, I could preach a sermon on this, because look, uh, and I'm going to cue this up and throw it to you, Steve, but folks, all of these people, it says they died not having yet received the promise. In, in other words, they were faithful even unto death. Many were martyred in the Old Testament era, and it says not having received the promise, but they, they saw it afar off. See, you and I, we know that the tomb is empty. We know that Jesus is risen. We know that he will never leave us or forsake us. We've got every incentive to be full out for, for the Lord because we know the big story. Now, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, seeing we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and run the race set before us. Now, so people say, well, maybe the great, the gathering of faithful, and by the way, the Greek word for witness, martyrius, is martyr. Uh, maybe it's referring to all the faithful folk of Hebrews 11. Some say, okay, people are watching from the grandstands of heaven. 
and we're running the race, and one day we'll go to the Bema seat, we'll be rewarded. But um, either way, whether it's people that can see us from heaven, which I, I'm not sure I agree with that theory, or whether it's um, following the role model, the example of the faithful folk who preceded us, we, we know Christ is with us, Christ is coming. We've got this one brief life to live our best for Christ. Steve, do you have a comment on, on this question? Oh, oh, you bet I do. Um, mm -hmm. those, that cloud of witnesses, the martyrs, as you correct, as you uh, rightly divided the etymology of the word there, um, they suffered for what they believed. Yeah. And, and they were willing to suffer for what they believed, like the apostles. So, you know, uh, John and Peter go to, the, the, go to the temple to preach the gospel. Uh, they are taken back by the Sanhedrin, and they are scourged. They are whipped, and they are told, don't ever come back here and preach this God. Don't ever come back here and preach about this dead Messiah ever again. The next morning, they're back again. And, and, they, and, they, and it says in Acts that they went back uh, to the rest of the gathering and counted it all joy to suffer for the name. See, here in the West, we're not willing to suffer for a dang thing. We're not. We, yeah. we are governed by comfort. Now, our enemies are. They grind for what they believe in, their conviction. They go to the finish line. They go to the mattresses. They'll, they'll steal elections. They'll do it hook by crook. Now, I'm not saying break the commandments, but what I am saying is anything short of what God says not to do, we are to do with our testimonies. And, and, and we aren't willing to suffer. We're not willing to offend. nefarious ourselves so no studio could water it down i've not been yeah. an employee of any media company for 12 years we're not willing to suffer the, the amount of suffering we've engaged as a, as a production team for to make this movie i'm sitting here right now i just literally knew it was going to be a great event when I lost hearing in my ear right before I went to Jack Hibbs church. Cause this was like the enemy oh, wow. saying, I take my pound of flesh now because I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my rear end kicked when you walked into that church. We're not yeah. willing to suffer for nothing. And that's why we're yeah. that more than anything else. Every conflict in all of human history has been won by the side that had the most conviction in the rightness of its cause. How did 110 People with in the upper in, in an upper room in three centuries overthrow the Roman Empire. How did they do it? Conviction. How did fifty-six signers of the Declaration of Independence throw the, the the empire that never the sun never set upon out of their colonies? Conviction. How come Afghanistan yeah. drove the Soviet Union, the United States, out of its country? Conviction. Conviction always wins, and the other side has Amen. all the conviction. We want easy solutions. Just vote for this guy and stay home and do nothing else. Never visit a school board meeting. Never do anything. Just outsource your kids' education to the state. You know, we, we want comfort, and it's killing us more than anything else. Mm. Wow. Folks, you're listening to the voice of Steve Dace, our guest tonight on Truth and Liberty. If you have a call and a question, the number is 719-619-2341. We're asking if America was a a friend, a neighbor, would you intervene? How sick is the patient and can the patient be saved? We're gonna to go to Rhonda. Rhonda in Woodland Park, Colorado. Uh, thanks for holding Rhonda and welcome to the program. Hi, Alex and Steve. Um, thanks for taking my call. 
Um, my question is in regard to a film, uh, actually a, a documentary, that um, I have just seen, oh, about less than a month ago in Colorado Springs. And I was wondering if you had heard of it and um, what you think of it. Uh, the film is entitled, actually, um, there's, it's under two different names. One of them is Affirmation Generation, and the other is No Way Back. And it was produced by Panicle uh, Productions. And it's um, the, when we went to the meeting, it was not a, what, at all what we were expecting to to be um, seeing, but I'm I'm glad we did. Um, the film was um, presented by a representative of an organization called FAIR, F-A-I-R, which stands for Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, and it's a leftist organization. Um, that are basically, my understanding was that they were um, all part of the LBGTQ movement. <clears throat> but the film documents five or six people who had gone through the gender transition process but are now going through detransitioning because of the horrors of it. And this group, even though they're, you know, um, supporting the LBGTQ+, they are coming against this um, the chen, um, gender transitioning, um, you know, because of the horrors of the mutilation. But um, they are wanting us all to come together um, to fight against this. And yet, at the very end of the film, um, basically, they're just saying they want to be able to just continue their uh, homosexual lifestyle. Um, so they're not so, really. So Rhonda, forgive me for interrupting. Let, let me sure. give this straight. So this is a documentary, No Way Back. And I, I heard a little bit about it because um, some of the theaters like AMC Movie Chain was going to show it and they pulled it. But this is a, a film against transitioning, but it was produced by a pro-homosexual group. Am I right on that? So, and Steve, are um, you familiar with this film? I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with this film, but there is a rising group uh, within the gay community, um, there's a group uh, that uh, before he got uh, fired at Fox, Tucker Carlson was highlighting called Gays Against Groomers. And there's a there's a there's a rising tide within the gay community. Andrew Sullivan, who's kind of the Benjamin Franklin of the gay rights movement, basically, um, it, it would be among this group that thinks the tranny stuff is just insane and mm -hmm. that it that it that it will cause um, that it goes so far in denying reality that it will cause America to basically roll back its support for advancements in, uh, in, in gay orthodoxy. And as a matter of fact, there was a Gallup poll, Alex, about a month ago that showed that, uh, that, uh, uh, that uh, opposition to gay marriage on the, across the board on the, on, uh, in the country has increased, but it has skyrocketed on the right, back to basically where it was before Obergefell and Windsor. And that a lot wow. of and, and and the theory is that a lot of it is in response to watching men uh, cartoonishly beat women in sporting events and claim they're women and things of that nature. And so this yeah. group of I guess we would call them moderates um, within uh, gay mm. political activism, they are very very concerned that the trans stuff uh, is so going to override uh, the progress that they have made uh, with cultural acceptance that it's going to cause a backlash. And you know what? They're right. It is causing a backlash. Yeah. Well, you know, Satan always overplays his hand. 
you know, every time. Yeah. Uh, and and I think people are realizing that that look, we've and and I would argue the the Pandora's box of moral relativism was opened five and a half six decades ago. Um, you know, uh, the breakdown of the family. A lot of people point to a cultural moral milestone as Roe versus Wade in 73. But Steve, I would even go back to 70 and 71 when New York and California made right. legal no-fault divorce. That, sure. that was really when we began our moral freefall. Well, I'm glad you went there because, again, I'll, I'll just talk about my own testimony. Um, you know, there's a cliche a, a lot of times, and my wife's a therapist, so now she has her degree from Liberty. She works in therapy practice. So she hears these conversations now. And a lot of times middle-aged Christian couples basically put their relationships on hold, pour every all their energy into the kids. Kids get older, move out, and they show up in the pastor's office saying, hey, you know, you know, we're not happy. We think God wants us to be happy. We should get a divorce. And that was frankly my wife and I a few years ago during COVID um, locked down a lot of issues that we had not thought about and confronted while we were, you know, focused so much on our kids, suddenly now all come to the surface without a lot of distractions. And we didn't know how to deal with them, where to go with them. And we were on the brink of divorce. I mean, it was even it was even in even a very red state like where I live in Iowa. It was very easy just to go find an attorney with it and 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 make it a, a divorce happen. Now thankfully the Lord stepped in and Amen. did a, an awesome work in our marriage. It's better now than it's ever been. But Praise that God. just, I have personal experience with what you're talking about, how easy it is to eject, how easy it is to quit. And, and we, we encourage quitting basically across the board in our culture. We encourage boys hey, to quit, men to quit, marriages to quit. For, forgive me for interrupting. We've got a brief break. For, phenomenal show, Steve Dace, our guest. We've got more to come, a very brief break. Don't go away. We'll get more of your calls and questions when Truth and Liberty comes back right after this. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. This is a godly nation. It was founded upon godly principles. God is calling us to rebuild His house so that He can manifest His glory in the midst of a corrupt and pagan world. I would argue that America has been more prosperous, more successful than any other nation because we've done more in reading and applying the Bible. It is the history for Christians to speak out and to make a difference in this nation. Have you been praying about how to make your business your mission field? Gospeltruth.tv Business features leadership and financial stewardship training from industry experts. Learn the next steps to building wealth and using it to grow God's kingdom. Tune in Saturdays to Gospeltruth.tv Business and watch anytime with Gospeltruth.tv Premium. Visit Gospeltruth.tv today for biblical teaching you can trust. Welcome back to the program. Alex McFarland here along with our very special guest on tonight's edition of Truth and Liberty, Steve Dace. Steve, uh, give your website again, and then folks, we're going to resume calls and questions. Uh, where can people find you online and watch uh, your content, brother? 
Sure. Uh, look for uh, me, Steve Dace, D-E-A-C-E on YouTube and uh, on iTunes and other podcast platforms. If you go to stevedace.com, it'll take you right to my stuff at The Blaze and uh, our our movie Nefarious, which I promise you will love, is uh, streaming yes. right now on all the major platforms, Amazon, iTunes, YouTube, Google, uh, Roku, DirecTV, Voodoo, et cetera. Yeah. Folks, the number 719-619-2341 if you've got a question for Steve Dace and myself tonight. Uh, we're going to go to Frank in Missouri. Frank, thanks for holding. Uh, hey, i got to tell you, a couple of years ago, Frank, I was in Missouri in the springtime to speak at a camp called Camp Barnabas. It's one of these camps where kids that are handicapped or dying, uh, whatever that, that child can dream up, they'll do it. And it was- Was that in Freeburg? What part of Missouri was that? Uh, near Springfield. And I've got oh, to okay. tell you, the most beautiful part of America I think I've ever seen is rural oh, yeah. Missouri in the springtime. <laughs> it is a beautiful yeah, part so of our country. Rolling, rolling yeah. hills of Rollo, that's where I am. And the only place that slam dunks that is the Judean hills that I live 90 days on the edge of the Judean desert and the sand hills of uh, that go all the way to the Dead Sea. But, wow. Yeah, incredible. Wow. Yeah, praise the Lord. That, that, man, that's the second guy. I, I talked to you. I asked the dumb question on, on uh, uh, I talked to you last, Alex. But uh, I, I want to preface this question with uh, an a- experience that uh, I had on the steps of the Capitol and <clears throat> with three brothers from Engenthal, from uh uh, end time handmaidens uh, ministry out, uh, out of Jasper, Arkansas, uh, and, okay. and, the, and the four of us went out when Obama got elected. This brother did his homework. He wrote a nineteen page, nineteen twenty page pamphlet, and we brought that pamphlet. I learned about this meeting from uh, Brother Federoff. Uh, uh, in Rolla, Missouri, they had a freedom when Obama got a, a freedom march or what a freedom uh, rally, I guess it was, a Baptist church put it on here. And anyways, uh, <laughs> he pulled out his library of Congress. I was just really overwhelmed by, by, by all, you know, how the Lord could ever use somebody like me to, to do what I'm about to tell you. What <laughs> I'm still overwhelmed and just being able to tell you that, uh, anyways, uh, four of us went and, uh, and, uh, well, I can't tell the whole story. I just need to stay focused on, uh, well, on get, the one Well, get to your question, if you could, Frank. Your, your question yeah, well, for Steve. Well, the question is around this booklet that uh, that this brother wrote this uh, this booklet uh, about. Uh, uh, on, and on the front page of this 19 or 20, it had a picture of the Bible, and it had a picture of the Quran. And, and the question was, in which one of these books will you find the love of God? So my, my question is, uh, you know, how can you tell the difference between uh, uh, the books of God and, uh, you know, which one is the book of God and, uh, and, and a plenary a verbal uh, uh, inspiration? Can you uh, uh, comment on a plenary verbal inspiration? But I just want to tell you, too, Greg, a little bit here. I got on somebody's documentary. Are, are you there? I got on a yeah, Christian yeah, I'm, documentary. I'm yeah, I got on a Christian documentary on the back of the of that guy that that spoke to those uh, uh, five thousand uh, Islamic people that were up on the 
on the steps of the Capitol. I said, bring that camera over here. And, and, and what I learned in Central Bible College, AG schools of 50 years ago, came up on that camera that all alone is God and God has no son is a lie because you're speaking to a son of God here. I received Christ into my life in the same way that I received him by faith and repentance. You can receive him too. I don't want to talk to those people about their religion. I want to take, talk to them about their souls because I'm an evangelist. Glory be to God. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Uh, Frank, God bless you. God bless you. You know, it's interesting. You're talking about um, uh, a son of God. Basically, three of the many things Islam uh, has against Christianity. One is the incarnation of Christ that God could take on a human body and that Jesus is deity, fully God. Uh, the Quran definitely uh, is different from the Bible, the Bible being the written word of God. And I, I actually believe the Quran is of demonic origin, whereas the Bible is God's word. And of course, Islam also has a problem with the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But to your question about verbal plenary inspiration, and let me cue this up and then I'll, I'll throw it to Steve Dace. Folks, um, Orthodox Christianity, classical orthodoxy, has always held, and rightly so, that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. Now, inerrant means without error. And when you hear uh, leaders, they'll say, I believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible, and I do. Verbal means God gave the words of Scripture, and I believe that. The, the Bible, the 66 canonical books, Genesis through Malachi, Matthew through Revelation, God gave those words. Now, plenary means God gave all the words. Like if you ever go to a conference and they'll say there'll be breakout sessions, but then over here is a plenary session. That means everybody goes. The, the plenary is the, the big keynote session. Well, plenary means all. So God gave the words of Scripture. God gave all the words of Scripture. Now, why is the Bible different than other books? Folks, I'm going to give you a short answer and a long answer. Why do we Christians believe the Bible is the Word of God? Well, for one reason, Jesus said so, and he was raised from the dead. Now, that might sound deceptively simple. Why do we believe the Bible is the Word of God? Well, the only man in history that was virgin-born, sinless life, miraculous resurrection. Jesus has a great resume. No, nobody else prophesied coming, virgin birth, sinless life, was able to beat death. And the only man that ever had the power to walk on water and raise the dead, Jesus said in John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. So the Bible has the endorsement of the Son of God. But beyond that, folks, the Bible has an amazing, think about these things, unity, indestructibility, scientific accuracy, historical accuracy, fulfill prophecy, worldwide influence, power to change lives, and unparalleled circulation. The Bible has a, a, a pedigree unlike any other book. Folks, think about this. You can search the religious writings of the world for even one line of fulfilled prophecy, and you'll come up empty-handed. The Quran, uh, the Vedas, uh, all of the scriptures of the world, not to mention Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard, not any of the religious texts of the world have one line 
of accurate, fulfilled prophecy. And yet the Bible has hundreds, not the least of which is the prophecy that near the end of the age, shortly before the return of Christ, Israel would be reconstituted as a nation, which happened May 14, 1948. So folks, we believe the Bible is unique. The Bible is God's word. And the Bible says that you can be born again. So trust what the Bible says because it is completely the Word of God. But Steve, forgive me for uh, taking uh, sort of comments no, here on the mic. Yeah. Um, um, I can I talk about Islam for a second? Because I think yeah, this is where, surely. using that term epistemology again, uh, critical yeah. thinking, which we have stripped people of in the modern West. Before we even get to creeds and, and, and claims, it's just simple common sense. I mean, you know, George W. Bush, our allegedly first evangelical president, uh, used to say frequently that uh, Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Well, number one, um, this is just, again, this is just historical fact. Um, Muhammad spent the last 20 years of his life fighting wars. Yeah. Uh, down, down to the day he died, he was taking life. It, Jesus culminated his earthly ministry by giving up his own life. Uh, the Quran teaches that uh, Jesus was uh, was not the Son of God, in fact, was not even crucified, but that yeah. essentially God yeah. swapped him out to trick the Jews. The, the, the Bible teaches that if Christ isn't raised and our preaching is in vain and we're all still dead in our sins, so the crucifixion and resurrection are really the hinge point of the entire biblical narrative. It all falls apart without that. So both Christianity and Islam could be wrong. They could both be wrong. They cannot both possibly simultaneously be right. They are whole, Amen. separately different worldviews. You're not worshiping the same God. So again, they can both be wrong, but when they're making counterfactual claims against one another, they're not, they're not reconcilable. And th again, this is the kind of teaching that was just, this was called Sunday school in America 70 years ago. Now yeah. I just gave Amen. you like an advanced apologetics course because of how dumb we have made a lot of our people, frankly, by not discipling them. Yeah. And, and you, you know, um, you mentioned the epistemological shift. You know, the politicizing of truth. When George W. would endlessly say, Islam is a religion of peace. Christians mm -hmm. and Muslims worship the same God. Uh, oh, my goodness. I, I, I just wanted to bang my head against the wall because uh, it, it's, it's false. Um, Steve, why do you think we're living in an age where people in positions of leadership, they don't have the courage to speak truth? Why do you think? Well, because a lot of the, the men that wear the um, pleated khakis and the sweater vests and are nicer than God that inhabit our pulpits don't have it either. So why in mm. the world would, would we assume people that hold public office? Would, would have an, a, a scintilla more courage than the people that inhabit our pulpits. You want to you yeah. change your culture, brother? I'll give you the very simple formula for it. Any time, any era, any custom, any culture, any language. A man in a pulpit with the Word of God open and the boldness to tell people what's in it, and the people are attentive and receptive to what he is saying. That's the formula right there. Amen. Amen. Wow, powerful. And look, while we're laying out some cultural and historical touchstones, um, 
I, you'll, you'll remember this name, Steve, Bill Hybels in Willow Creek mm-hmm. Church. It was mm-hmm. the late 70s, seeker-sensitive Christianity. Mm-hmm. I, I, I am so thankful, folks. I was 21. I was a college student going to the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And, uh, Steve, I called myself a philosophical anarchist. My heroes at that point, in my, my stupid little mind, I loved John Lennon and Jim Morrison. Yep. And uh, uh, I thank I, I God. I grew up listening to that music from my boomer dad, so I know it very well. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thank God that uh, I started going to a Monday night Bible study to a, a, at a church, a little church called Macedonia Baptist Church, and they were not seeker-sensitive. And F.G. Alford, A-L-F-O-R-D, F.G. Alford, um, we were having a conversation, and right away he cut to the chase, and he said, Alex, are you saved? And I said, uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I don't think so, uh, but I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And he asked me, he said, are you a Christian? And I said, well, as much as I have time for, because I thought it was going to church once in a while. And he taught from his Monday night Bible study, and then he shared with me. He said, Alex, if you don't accept Jesus, when you die, you'll go to hell. Well, I didn't want to go to hell. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, a big part of my incentive in coming to Jesus was I didn't want to go to hell. I learned Christ died for me, and my heart was moved that the Son of God would have compassion enough to give His life for me on the cross. But Steve, I repented, turned to Jesus, and was born again because the church where I was going on a Monday night Bible study, they weren't seeker-sensitive. And F.G. Alford didn't worry about offending me. He, he loved me enough to tell me cold, hard, eye-opening truth. Um, we need that again, don't we? We do. There is. Uh, let, let me let me tell you what the what the gospels have to say about uh, the seeker friendly church movement. When when Jesus feeds the five thousand, he then begins to preach as the people are enjoying the feast of the of the of the grand miracle, the show that he had just given them. And he begins to say, "Hey, if any of you want to come after me, follow me. You must eat of my flesh, drink of my blood." And the people look at him and they're like, "Who is this whack job? What is he talking about? This is you know." really far out, man. And so they start leaving. And so because Jesus went to a Bill Hybel seminar, Alex, um, he chased after them. He came up with another clever way of convincing them to hang around, uh, watered it down a little bit, came up with a slam and praise team, and and the people decided to go ahead and finish their lunch. No, that's not what he did. He actually turns to the disciples as he, as the, as the multitude, yeah, the New Testament draws a, just as the Old Testament draws a distinction, separates the world between Jews and Gentiles, right? In the New Testament, the separation is often disciples and multitudes, either directly or implied. And here is a direct implication or application of it. As the multitude is leaving, they've eaten, they've had the show, but now the teaching comes and it's too hard. They're, they, they, they're, they're freaked out. They're going to walk away. He doesn't chase after anybody. It said, Christ turns to the disciples and says, are you going to abandon me now too? Confrontation is is inherent to Christianity. Now, when I use that word a lot, because I'm a fiery guy, a lot of people get freaked out and think that confrontation is a tone. It's not a tone. Like when you went to grandma's house for dinner, and, and she's just a sweet little old lady, but you knew when you walked in that door, man, you better come correct 
And, and, and you, you better watch what comes out of your mouth because you, you, you respected Nana. That's a confrontation in her own sweet little way while she's baking you chocolate chip cookies. The respect that she garnered from you confronted you where you were and you knew you better raise your game because in her house, that talk ain't happening. Confrontations Amen. can happen in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to sound the way that it does when I do it. You can be, when God's walking through the garden, he says, hey, Adam, what you doing? That's a confrontation. Confrontations can take many different size, sizes, many different tones, many different tendencies, all right? It doesn't have to be confrontational, but we're not willing to confront on any level anymore. And, and that's why it's, there's no plumb line and it's anything goes. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Folks, 719-619-2341 if you've got a question. By the way, um, I've got an article I just uh, released that's going to be published in the Western Journal on America Needs to Repent. I wrote an article on God and patriotism that's on the website, truthandliberty.net. If you want to keep up with the content we're creating to really try to mobilize and inspire and equip people, go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe truthandliberty.net slash subscribe, and you'll get all of the emails. Attorney Richard Harris is writing, and there's just so much good stuff coming out of this, and the movement is growing. Let me encourage you people, uh, please tell your friends about Truth and Liberty. And uh, so one last thought here, folks, on the truthandliberty.net website. If you would consider supporting Truth and Liberty financially, your gift of at least $5 a month will make you a partner. You can go to truthandliberty.net slash donate. And uh, we've got so many great guests. I was on uh, a call with some of the staff this morning. In the days ahead, we're going to have so many great guests like Steve Dace to help and encourage people everywhere because our nation, we've got to fight for this nation. Now, Steve, um, earlier in the show, you were talking about the Declaration. And folks, I basically, when I teach my course on the philosophical foundations of the U.S. Constitution, I do, I do an entire week of class on the phrase, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Steve, let's talk for a moment about how unique America is. Uh, some would say self-evident truth absolute truth, really um, legal uh, terminology, natural law, the idea that our country was founded on moral knowledge, natural law, the timeless, immutable truths written on every heart. This is so urgently needed that, that we talk about this and teach this, isn't it, Steve? It is. You have to understand that our founders came from an era that where they were heavily imbued by the two great influences post-Middle Ages, um, the Reformation and the Enlightenment. And so they, they kind of merged those, those kinds of, and with a little Renaissance thrown in, they, they kind of merged those events into their thought. Many of the philosophers that they were reading in the years leading up to the uh, founding of the country um, were birthed out of uh, this, uh, these three um, these three canons. If you look at the founding of the country, the, you know, I, I wrote a children's book last year, if you don't mind me plugging that, Alex. I, I started Please. a series. Sure. I started a series of children's books on America's Christian heritage. And we and the first one was published last year. It's called Why Thanksgiving. You can get it on Amazon right now. And it tells the mm. story of the pilgrims, um, the story that has been left out of our schools for the last 50 or 60 years. 
who they really were. I mean, just to just to point it out, I mean, we use the term Puritan as a put down. Even in the church, we use the term Puritan as a put down. All the Puritans Puritanical. did was discover America. Yeah, all the Puritans did was discover America. And and Puritan is supposedly some term that means um, you know hoity-toity and hyper uh, moralistic. These folks got married at like twelve and had twenty-seven kids. So. so I, mean, I don't know where, where this idea they were all prudes came from. Uh, they they took the commandment to go forth and multiply very seriously, actually, as a as a as a as a sect. But they came here and, and they wrote this charter called the Mayflower Compact, and it says that they came here for the advancement of the kingdom of the Christian religion and the establishment of the kingdom of Christ. Just wrote that in their own founding charter. That's the first governing doc document in the history of this country. And so, why Thanksgiving? is the first of this trilogy of children's Christian books I'm doing. Uh, and it goes through this history and explains it all, who they were and why they came here. And that was a that was a watershed event in the history of Christianity. Go back to the question we had earlier about the large cloud of witnesses. Until the 17th century, really Christianity, with, with a few exceptions, it, there was a period of time for a couple of centuries where it, it was ascendant in Rome until Rome de decayed. Um, and then post-Reformation, other than that, most of the time Christianity was on the outskirts of a civilization. Most of the time it was the counterculture. Most of the time it had to, in it had to influence from the outside in. When, we, when this country was founded by the pilgrims, this was the first time a society would be founded in, in, by, under direct inspiration of a biblical worldview. And then, and then later would come the colonies. All but one of them were founded with a direct tie to some vestige of the Christian church. And the only one that wasn't, Rhode Island, was founded to be, uh, would have universal religious freedom of all the de denominations and sects, SECTS, of Orthodox Christianity. And so, right from and, the. And I got to say this, Steve. He, in Rhode, the founder of Rhode Island, Roger Williams, a Baptist preacher, he named the capital Providence. Exactly. As in the Providence yes. of God. So, so, this is all part. This is in the DNA of the of the of literally of of the founding of this country, and 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 there's a there's a phrase. When, go back to what I said earlier about Romans 13. The way the Declaration ends, and I, I I would highly urge people to study it. I think it is probably the finest philosophical, moral, political treatise ever written in all of human history, other than yeah. um, you know obviously Scripture, and the way that it ends. Again, they're they're having they're, they, they they it starts with this preamble. And you just cited it's money, it's money phrase. So this idea that this is the way the world is supposed to work under God's natural law. What does natural law mean? When Jesus says he makes the rainfall and the just and the unjust alike, that's what it means, right? So that's the yeah. preamble, that this is the way the world, the created order, even in its fallen state, God is still sovereign. And this is the way that it works. This is how he restrains evil in a fallen world. And then so they, they, they reintroduce that concept. And they're saying, this is the way we're supposed to live. And we're not living that way. And then they lay out these 28 charges, I think it is, and these are the long trains of abuses. And why do they do that? They're entering a case into evidence because they understand that what Paul, what Paul wrote in Romans 13, that we cannot rebel against government unless government asks us to do things and to honor things that are ungodly. And then we say, no, we, 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 we follow Polycarp, we follow Paul, we follow, follow Peter, who they hung upside down. We worship God and not man. And so they're, they're making this legal case that King George, the British Empire, is compelling a level of tyranny on us that would cause us to violate our own conscience and, the, and God's natural law to continue living this way. But then look at the way that it ends. It ends very humbly. 
we appeal to the divine ruler to judge the rectitude of our actions, meaning if we have not rightly divided the word, if this is not right, if this goes against, if, if, if this is a flawed hermeneutic, if we have gone against your word, and if we are twisting it into what we want, then judge us, God, and do not allow this revolution to be a success and set an example for the rest of the world. The level of knowledge, detail, and even more importantly, humility that Amen. is included Amen. in this document is extraordinary in all of human history. And I think God saw that and blessed it. That's what I think. And, and Why? Because they made I, an appeal I, directly to his character, and he honored that. And that's why I think and, and, when, we have, when we've gone against that as a people, I don't believe we're a new Israel. I think there's only one Israel, okay? Amen. But I do, Amen. Think, I do think that we, our founders kind of wanted to archetype some of what, what, they, what they did on a civil, civic level and tried to. And so what you've seen is God willing to use this nation to bring freedom to other nations, to save Western civilization, to, to bring freedom to other peoples in this continent. The irony of our system is the system that came out of the Declaration provided us the means by which to fix our own sins. One generation in the, could fix sins of the next, like civil rights, slavery, things of that nature, using all the systems that came out of what is asserted in the Declaration of Independence. That's, that's the genius of it. That's the providence of it. And we have, there's a reason why this has all been stripped of our culture, stripped out of our education, so that we will turn away from God and we will become a forsaken land. And then ultimately, mm. once we do that, another God must come in. Something must rule. There will not be neutral institutions and neutral spaces. And ultimately, when we want to worship more than anything else, as Paul writes in Romans, ourselves, the creator, worship the creature rather than the created. Why? Because we're the highest beings in God's created order. We're the only things made in his image. And so, right. and that's the enemy. Where do, we, where, where do we get that language? Ye be like God. I will ascend. I will be like the most high. That's, that's the satanic playbook. Isaiah 14. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you meant that, that wonderful phrase, folks, the declaration after Jefferson lays out the usurpations and abuses of the King of England. And they say the 56 signed below appealing to God for the rectitude of our intentions. It, it really also meant that, look, these things that the King of England has done, they, they're unjust they're unrighteous. And if we don't push back against it, we are complicit with it. Yes, we're and guilty so, of it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So folks, let, let me say, this is why you have to vote, vote. And you need to be informed. You need to influence others. Pastors, my goodness, and I know I've pastored two churches, so I realize the fine line of diplomacy that pastors think they have to walk. But for all the pastors listening, you get in your pulpit from now till 2024 and you influence your people, tell them the truth, urge them to be registered and to vote. And, and Steve, I hate that I, I got to bring this up with only two minutes left to go. Pastors, all, they'll say to me, well, we can't speak about anything political because we might lose our 501c3. That is false. But even if that were the case, since when do you truncate your message only if it's financially expedient? Come on, pastors, do what pastors do, and let's preach truth, and let's mobilize a generation to save our nation. Two minutes left, Steve, I want to give you the final thought. I think 
it's revival or bust for America, Alex. I think that um, there are things that we can do to show God we want revival. Small r reformation, meaning we go back to worshiping him the way he is worthy, teaching his word, um, the fullness of it without fear. Uh, repentance would be another another factor that shows that we want revival. But, you know, I was I was at a gathering of Christian leaders in uh, in Texas back in May. And uh, the 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 topic of of revival came up. And I think this is a good place to, for me to close out my thought on my portion of this conversation. And one of the Christian leaders warned us, be careful praying for revival. Because yes, that's the only way to save this country, but there, there will be no revival without some form of suffering. And a lot of our people, frankly, are too addicted to comfort that they're not willing. God, if, 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 what spurs revival? Often threats, tyranny. I mean, the, the, the pilgrims aren't going to come to America if they didn't risk their lives on that rickety boat for a vacation. They had no choice. Ah. Okay? Yeah. And that's, that is... That is the thing that's killing us more than anything is I live I love my man cave, Alex. It is yeah. it is four weeks until the most wonderful time of the year, college football season begins. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, I'm not sure who loves college football more, me or Tim Wildman. Okay. I love it. All right. But yeah, it's yeah. a hobby. I, I don't I don't do college football instead of play dad, play husband, uh, play disciple. It's a hobby. And right now in America, particularly the men, there's this inverted paradigm where our leisure pursuits take the bulk of the pie graph and our duties and obligations are the small part. We need we to reverse it over. or we're doomed. Steve Dace, we're almost out of time. Steve, you are a national treasure. I want to say thank you uh -huh. for being with us. And uh, may, may we do this again soon. Yeah, you bet. Well, we'll, we'll try to make it work. It, it, 90 Folks, minutes on a Friday night ain't easy, but for you, Alex, I'll see what I can do. Folks, be in church on Sunday. Pray for America. Stay bold. Stand for truth. God bless you. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.